Hey, uh, my name's Tim. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. It's, it's really good to be with you today. I, uh, um, I, I'm going to, c- a couple things. Uh, first, I'm, I'm just slightly distracted. Um, so I'm just going to kind of let you know that up front. I'm really excited about tonight. Um, we've got our partners party and, and, and annual, it's not up there, meeting, and, and so there's a big thing tonight, and hopefully you know about it and you're RSVP'd. If you're not, you can still come, but um, what we do is once a year, we get together and throw a party, and it's tonight, and so from five to six, we're doing food outside, dinner for everyone. Um, again, RSVP or not, you can have food. There's going to be food for you, and, um, and then bounce houses, and uh, oftentimes, it, well, if you're like me, you hear bounce houses and you think, oh, that'll be fun for the kids. And so uh, we made sure that it's not just for kids, that they're uh, adult bounce houses as well. And so uh, dress appropriately. You can self-define that, but uh, bounce houses are for everyone. And I'm really looking forward to that. Actually, that's what I'm really excited. I'm distracted because I'm thinking about bounce houses tonight. That's, that's what's happening. Um, after uh, That's from five to six. And then uh, from six, we'll be in here. And, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to... Um, we're going to take time to look back at this last year uh, in the life of Mosaic, and it's been a unique one and an unexpected one, and we want to look back and go, God, what, what have you been teaching us? What have you been doing? Because you've been at work. You didn't stop working, um, but you've been at work. What, what, what have you been teaching us this past year? And then to, to look into the future and what God has uh, for us for this next year and, and going forward. And so it's really, really important time. We're also taking care of some business stuff. Um, uh, we've got a couple new board members that are, that are coming on, and I get to affirm them, and, and then... Uh, uh, here's the other, bylaw, bylaw changes. Some of you, that's, that's really exciting. Others of you not. We're going we're gonna to hit those tonight as well. Um, talk about how God's provided for us financially, what next, next year looks like. Important stuff. It's, it's, it's going to be a great time. So hopefully you can make it. Um, if you've got something else planned tonight, um, just cancel it and, and be here. Um, so I'm thinking about that. I'm excited. But um, we, we spend time every time we gather in Scripture. Right, we're going to do that now, and I, I am excited for that, but I just needed to confess that I'm also distracted. If you've got a Bible, find your way to uh, Proverbs chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, find a Bible, uh, and then find your way to Proverbs chapter 6. We, uh, we've been going through Scripture uh, in a reading plan. Yeah, there's Bibles on the side here. Don't, don't be shy. Walk up and grab one. If you've got a screen or something, um, find it on there. Um, the story is our, our series for this year, and what we've been doing is just we've, we've, we've created a reading plan for us, and so that we're all invited to be reading the same thing. Um, it, it, you, if you're on the weekly e-newsletter, uh, Mosaic Weekly, it's on the bottom of that, and there's bookmarks that are available around here as well. Uh, and so what we've been doing is each week we've been uh, reading together scripture, and then on Sundays look back over the past week and, uh, and, and teach out of one of the texts from the previous week. And so uh, Proverbs chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, today. It's, it's been great to, to be reading together, those of us that have, have opted in and chosen to do that. Uh, and, and we've just been moving through now since I think we started kicked this off in, in February, the reading plan. And now all of a sudden we're in, we're in towards the back end of June, and it's been you know, it's almost six months, and it, it's been great. We're in Proverbs for the summer, so we're slowing down, reading less through the summer. Um, and Proverbs is this great and fantastic, mysterious, crazy, poetic, uh, practical book in, in the middle of Scripture. If, you, if you're not familiar with Scripture, just go to Psalms right smack in the middle and turn right. Uh, and in Proverbs, what we've got is this, most of it is written by a guy named Solomon, who's the wisest man who ever lived, but he was king. And, and he asked God for, 
for wisdom. God gave him wisdom and a bunch of other stuff. And he began collecting all the known knowledge and wisdom in the world at that time. And then we have some of it, not, not even a lot of it, but some of it in, in the book of Proverbs. If you have read through the book of Proverbs, it is helpful. It is practical. I think at some point it's, it's funny. It's a little silly. Um, there's a lot of it like, duh, no kidding, uh, kind of things that we read. The purpose behind it, the reason that we have the book of Proverbs is because God is trying to, to give us wisdom. And wisdom, not as the world defines it, although it, there's a lot of overlap in how the world defines wisdom. But as God defines wisdom, it's how do we live the good life here and now? And so as you think about your life, as you think about anybody's life, how to get by in this world in very tangible, practical ways, and a lot of that is in Scripture in the book of Proverbs. It, it's the, how to live the good life according to how God sees it. And another way to think about wisdom is, is this. It's, it's, it's how we make decisions for the majority of life that is lived beyond kind of the clear moral, let's say, guidelines or boundaries that exist in the world. We can generally agree, maybe not on everything, but we can generally agree on, on things that are the kind of moral lines in our, our human existence. Uh, the, the, the most extreme, easy one to point to is the taking of another life, to, to murder somebody, to kill somebody. We generally agree that's a, that's a bad idea. When we don't agree on that, that's when it gets uncomfortable. We can generally agree that hey, taking another life is, is not good. That doesn't show up for most of us in our daily living. I mean, if you drive a lot on the freeway, maybe it shows up more frequently for you, but generally that, that's, not a, that's not an issue most of us have to deal with on a daily basis. Should I, should I kill this person? I hope. Um, but that's, a, that's a, for the most part, a clear line. Most of life isn't lived on that line. It's lived in this, it's in between of, of a ton of daily decisions. I, I've shared this a number of weeks now through Proverbs that I found research that said that the average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. That's a lot. Maybe you feel like more, maybe you feel like less. Um, I've shared a few decisions from my weeks in the past weeks of really wise decisions and then decisions that are just pure folly. Um, I'm going to update you with mine from this week. Um, I took my three sons, Ethan, Max, and Owen, uh, just one night camping Friday night. We took off uh, Friday afternoon and went to campground. Um, I think uh, overall going camping was a wise decision. It was it was fun. We had a great time. Wise. Um, folly. I actually got two. Um, one, I didn't reserve a campsite ahead of time. And apparently a lot of other people were wise and went camping Friday night. And so there was no spots in the first place we went. Um, but fortunately, we were able to drive to another place about 10 minutes away and get a campsite. So we were good. Um, the second folly decision started out as a really wise decision and then quickly turned into folly. Um, after we were all set up in our camp and um, we're, we're looking for stuff to do and entertain ourselves, and there was a little playground and a swing set with two swings on it. And so um, Max and I decided that we were going to play catch while Owen and Ethan were on the swings. And so we played catch through the swings. And, um, and so, I mean, that's, that's wise, right? I mean, it's, it's an it's a, a experience of skill, a demonstration for those around of how skillful we are and timing. Um, so anyways, that was it. Um, you, you know what happened, right? right? Our skill tapered off. Uh, somebody put their head where it wasn't supposed to be. The ball hit. Uh, just so you know, no one is in concussion protocol. We're all, we're all fine. But that was a folly decision. I'm going to blame that on Max. Max should have made a better decision there. Um, I was there to serve them on the camp out, and this they decided. And so, um, yeah, so somebody got clunked in the head with a baseball. But um, we're fine. Um, 
So we have all these decisions to make. Sometimes we make wise ones, sometimes we make foolish ones. There's this stuff in Proverbs that is just here, line after line, page after page, where God is actually saying, here, here's how to live the good life, not the painful life where you get hit in the head. The good life and, and helpful, practical ways to live. Here's, here's a few favorite from my, my week. I've, I've done this as I've, I've read uh, over the last couple of weeks. I've just noted some of my favorites. Here's Here's what shows up in Proverbs, if, if you're not familiar, if you haven't been reading, reading along. 15, verse 17. They're not going to be up on the screen. Just listen. Better a small serving of vegetables with love. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Than a fattened calf with hatred. Okay. Maybe you heard better a small serving of vegetables, and you're just like, never, that's never true. That's, there's absolutely ne- never. Uh, maybe because you don't want any vegetables or because you only want large. I don't know, but it's like, with love, it's better to eat vegetables with love than a fattened calf with, with hatred. Now, you, you hear that, and you're like, no. I've had one of my best steaks I've ever eaten with miserable people, but it was still a really good steak, and that might be true. One of the things with Proverbs is there are things that are generally true about life. They're not promises. These aren't always true all the time. So I, that one caught my eye. Here's another one, uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 4. And I'm going to read this as spouse so that we're both able to hear this and digest it. Um, better to live on a corner of the roof, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome spouse. Now, depending on the slant of the roof, like, this is true, right? Like, that time, most of the roofs would have been flat. Like, I'd rather live just on one corner of a flat roof than, than inside with a husband or wife that is, it is quarrelsome constantly. Um, yeah, that's, I get that. That's, that's great. Thank you, Solomon. Um, 26, verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. We can say amen or thank you, God, for this, your word. And without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. I mean, it's almost like an SAT question. As this is to that, then this is to that. Right. Like without foot, a, a wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, quarrel dies down. Now, are there quarrels where there's not gossip involved? Yeah. But in general, it's true and it's better when a gossip leaves and stops gossiping or disappears and a quarrel dies down, it goes better. Proverbs just has these practical, generally true statements. And then there's other parts in Proverbs. There's other parts of Proverbs that go a level deeper. That's not just the practical every day. They go a level deeper, and it's actually heart. It addresses and it challenges what's on the inside, what's the heart. And what we're going to read today is is a heart issue. It goes a level deeper. It's chapter 6, and it's verses 16 through 19. I want to read just the first one. And as we read this, it's important to picture because right now we're sitting in a church gathering and we've got Bibles in front of us or it's going to be up on the screen in, in a moment. And, and so it's, it's easy to, to hear this in one setting. When this was written from Solomon and, and it says at the beginning of each section, um, my son, my son, this is a parent to a child, a parent speaking to a child saying, this is how I want you to live. As you go out into the world, know this. And here's what it says in verse 16. These are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. So we, we right now are getting prepared for, we're about to read a list of things that the Lord hates. God hates these things. 
This is important information. Now, if you were to ask me my preference, I would love to hear that the things, the list of things that God loves, these things that God loves and celebrates and values and prizes and rejoices and delights over, I'd rather hear that, that list. What we have in, in these verses is a list of things that God finds detestable. Also important to know. These, you might he- hear these, and, and again, it's not just things that God hates. It's, it's things that a father is telling a son, that a parent is telling a child. You need to know these. This is important for you to know. Here's the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and number seven, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. There's, there's seven things here. It's a list of seven. It's not the seven deadly sins. There's some crossover there, but that's not what this is. It's these, these seven things, as, as these are listed and as we hear them, most of us, I think, our general response to this is, yeah, yeah I agree. I don't, I'm not a fan of any of those. I don't love any of those. I, I don't like those. I hate those. Those are detestable to me. We, we look at these and we go, yeah, these are not good. Haughty eyes, the idea of pride, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, the idea of cruelty, heart that devises wicked schemes, and so scheming to take advantage of somebody or to deceive someone or something that's been done wrong and then tried to be covered up, that people put time and, and, and craftiness towards that. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. False witness that pours out lies. Here, this is interesting. There's seven things. We've got in Scripture a list that says seven things that the Lord finds detestable, and there's a repeat within that seven things. That, that of the seven, two of them are, are lying. I mean, God, God really hates lying. Most people in their right state of mind say, yes, lying is not helpful. It's bad. We hate it. It's not good. It, it destroys trust and relationships and, and lives that lying is God says, yeah, I, I detest lying. So much so that it's in, a, it's in a list of seven twice. I should have done the math and the percentage that is, but it's a significant percentage. It's only seven. Two of them are lying. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. And the way that this is written is that the first six actually feed into the seventh. That the first six begin to say, there's something that, that happens when, when these happen. There's, there's attitudes, thoughts, and actions in the first six. And then it's like, this is the result. Conflict is stirred up in the community, or you could replace in the village, or in the family, or in the marriage, in, in a relationship with others. There's conflict when, when these first six things, which is really five and one repeated, the other fascinating thing about this is that it, the first six are put in, in terms of our body. That, that pride is seen through, through the eyes, haughty eyes, lying tongue. It's not just, it's a, it's a thought and it's speech, but, but it's talked about as a, as a tongue. Hands, heart, feet. It's, it's put in a, it, that us, that me, that you are used for these kinds of things. And when they are, God looks at that behavior, at that action, or that attitude. And he said, I, I hate that. That's, that's detestable. Please hear clearly. He's not saying I'm detestable or you're detestable. He's saying these things are when we do them, when we think them, when our attitude is, is like this, it's detestable to God. And God says, I don't want that around me. And I don't want that in you personally or in whatever kind of community family relationship is in because it begins to tear it apart. 
there's seven here. We could spend time on, well, again, six, because lines repeated, but we could spend time on each of them. What I want to do is I want to focus on the first one this morning. A haughty, haughty eyes, the idea of, of pride. And the reason is, is because the, the, the concept of pride it, it infects everything else about us. It's really kind of at the, the core of when it comes to, to sin and evil and wickedness in our world. Proverbs has lots to say about, uh, about pride. Just one page over in chapter 8, verse 13 says this, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Wisdom, in, poetically, in, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a, as a female, as a woman. Particularly in the first section of Proverbs, it's like, a, it's like a teacher, a female teacher. And so it's put in the voice of a woman. And so this verse is saying, in, in the voice of a woman being wisdom. Wisdom isn't a person, but it's put in the voice of a woman saying, I hate pride and arrogance. Because to, to fear God, to be in awe of God, to love God, is to be against evil and wickedness. There, there's, no, there's no neutral. If you fear God, if you love God, if you stand in awe of God, if you want to follow God and know God, you're against evil. That's just how it is. You can't be both. And so to fear God is to hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and speech. In chapter 16, verse 18 says this, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. You've probably heard that in one way or another. Maybe you didn't even know it was in scripture. Pride goes before a fall. Chapter 21, verse 4. Haughty eyes. There it is again. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. Produce sin. The haughty eyes and a proud heart. The unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. It's, it's describing what's going on inside of us of when pride takes root and, and grows and affects other parts of us. It, it compares it to an unplowed field of the wicked, and there's, there's different translations of this, and so you might actually have a different phrase. The, the, the idea here is that when pride takes root in our life and goes unaddressed, and we maybe, we maybe even feed it a little bit and enjoy it a little bit, just in, in certain measure at certain points, when we allowed it to, to, to take place in our life, what happens is it begins to affect, infect everything, and then whatever we do, whether we plow a field or light our path or Wherever, however it is we do or however it's translated for you, it's, it's the things that we step out then and take action in and do produce sin. That pride has so infected them that they become damaging to ourselves and other people. They become sinful, that, that sin begins to infect everything. It, it, pride itself is, is really at the root of sin. It, it, it's, it's said in many different places that, that the source of sin is, is pride that they're, they're kind of one and the same, that pride is what, what gave life to sin in some ways. And if we look at the, the creation account in the first pages of Scripture, even chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, where we find the story of Adam and Eve listening to the serpents and going against what God called them to and invited them to, when they chose to sin for the first time, which was step outside of this, this beautiful, idyllic, wonderful, perfect, completely fulfilling existence with God, to go outside of the boundaries of that, to have tasted freedom and said, no, I, I think my wandering eye wants something more. And it steps outside of that. There's, there, was a, there was a tree that they were not to eat from. And we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. When, when Adam and Eve decide, yes, I want to eat that tree, what they're believing is the, the idea 
They're believing the message. They're believing the lie of Satan that says, well, you can be like God. You can be like God. You can decide what's right and wrong. You can decide what's best. You can take care of yourself. You can be enough on your own. You. And Eve and Adam wondered, maybe I can. And they took a bite of the fruit and the scripture says their eyes were open and they realized, nope, we can't. I'm not God. Real clear, real easy, real fast. I'm not God. God is more than. God is bigger than. It's one of the reasons that scripture, the Proverbs talks a number of times saying the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. It's to know who he is. And the more we know who he is, the more we're actually aware of who we are as well. And we realize like, I'm not him. I'm not that big. I'm not that powerful. But pride is a thing that causes them to step outside of that and say, I'm going to go my own way. I can be God. I can make a decision for myself and be right and have that be counter to what God wants. And you and I are in that battle on a daily, regular, ongoing basis. And it goes back to that. It was a moment of pride where they thought, I can do this. And so pride then launches sin, gives birth to sin. And from then on else, it's affected. Pride being that, that idea that, that we're more confident in ourselves than we should be. Then we think more highly of ourselves than others. And then at some level, the deep, dark temptation is to think that we're better than God, that we're more than. And what a father is saying to his son, what a parent is saying to his child is, no, when you step out into the world, that God is bigger and better and stronger and loves you more than anything you can come up with on your own. And so run back to him, live in fear of him, worship him, obey him, surrender to him. That's just generally what goes better in the world. But we know it doesn't always go that way. And one of our biggest challenges when it comes to pride is that it doesn't always work this way, as it says in chapter 16, that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. One of our challenges with pride is that it it doesn't always go poorly for people when they're prideful. It doesn't even always go poorly for us when we're prideful. Sometimes it goes really, really well. Sometimes we're arrogant as all get out, and we win. I have three boys. I can't tell you how many times that happened. And it's, it's, I want to celebrate with him, and then I also want to go, ugh, because this, this is going to happen at some point. When you become prideful, the, a fall kind of happens. It's coming. Our, our, our world rewards pride and arrogance with tons of accolades and position and money. And, and that seems so counter to this. I haven't done a lot of research, so I don't have like stats and everything. I just have my just overall impression. But one of the ways that I, I see this is that, you know, we somehow, and it's, it's brilliant on their part. I don't know how they figured it out. But there's a, there's a group of people, there's a collection of people. Um, it's, it's, it's a small but growing number who have somehow created and found out and mastered a way to make an income and a pretty sizable one of that of taking pictures of themselves in cool places and posting it. And they get labeled influencers and are making a ton of money. And absolutely none of it makes sense to me. But it's brilliant in some level. And what we do is, is we actually say, that's impressive, or thank you, I have something else to mock, or I'm gonna like that, or I'm gonna buy that, or I'm gonna visit there where you are, or I wanna look like you, or in some way we say, you're, you're awesome, or awesomer than I am, or than a lot of my friends at least, and, and you're great. And, 
And we feed that and feed that and feed that. I can't imagine what it would be like to have your identity and yourself fed by that on a regular basis. And then to get a paycheck with it as well. And some people make a living at that. But all of us play that game in some form or fashion every day. And we're looking for it and we're looking to get fed and we're looking to be told that we're, that we're great. And what it is, it's a, it's a twisting of trying to find confidence in ourselves and what we've done. And there are times in this world where that goes really, really well. And yet the Bible has a contrary message and to say at some point that will run out and it will not go well for you. I, uh, I think it was in fifth grade and I was in a small uh, class and we had been together for, most of us had been together. I had like 18 people in my graduating uh, class from elementary school to, to middle school. And we spent, most of us were together for those, all those years of, of elementary school. And I, um, I can remember distinctly, I think it was in, when I was in fifth grade and I, um, I was doing pretty well in school, like academically. Uh, and math was one of my stronger subjects at that point. Um, it tapered off as I went into high school and college, but at that point I was, I was pretty strong in, in math. I was probably in the top half or quarter of my class in math, and we were, we were doing a pop quiz in, in math, and the teacher uh, wrote the, the problems on the board and then went around and, and you know, like called for us to answer it in front of the whole class. And so I was working ahead on a few of the problems and had figured them out and was ready to go and wanted to show everybody that I knew the answer. And, uh, and our, our teacher called on Jesse, who was a girl sitting in the back of the class, and the answer didn't come readily. And so we're waiting for it. And um, she asked again and gave a hint. And Jesse started to answer once. And that was right, not right. And so she, she stopped answering and was kind of uncomfortable. And, and I turned around and looked at her. And uh, I don't know what I looked like. Um, but I'm pretty certain it, it was, it could have been described as haughty eyes. I turned around and looked at her. And everything about my countenance and my face and my body language was answer it already. Like, hurry up. And the teacher obviously saw that happen and quickly said, Tim, turn around. I like, okay, back up front. And what are you doing? Like, clear in the whole classroom, it was an uncomfortable moment that she didn't know the answer. And me turning around and glaring at her and giving her some discouraging, probably demeaning look was horrible. And as soon as the teacher said something, I snapped around and went, I oh, can't believe what I just did. And it wasn't but a few days later that we were doing a, a spelling test in the same way, not written up on the board because then you would know how to spell it, but <laughs> saying, reading off 10 words. And I was not great at spelling, but I was killing it on this test. And I got pretty confident I had the first nine right. And then we get to the 10th word, the last one on the test, and, and the word was, was rhythm. I know, right? No one knows how to spell rhythm, right? <laughs> Oh, you do? Okay. I didn't know how. And I still, there's an R, an H, and three Ys, and something else. I don't know. Like, I, I completely blanked. I couldn't spell rhythm. And I, was, I wanted to get a 10 out of 10. And I remember turning around and looking behind me for help. And all of a sudden, just had this sense of, okay, this is what this feels like. This is what this feels like to to not know something and to be embarrassed. Everybody else has passed in their tests and I'm hanging on and the teacher's looking at me with her gracious but firm eyes to turn your test in. But I don't know how to spell rhythm. And I had to turn it in and got it wrong because 
case you wrote it down, there's not three whys in rhythm. And <laughs> I just remember feeling like that's, that's what Jesse felt like. I, I caused that unnecessarily in a person because I thought I was better, because I thought I was more. And the reality that, that God doesn't want either side of that, that he doesn't want somebody to think more highly of themselves, and he doesn't want to inflict shame on somebody else. And we're caught in that battle so often where we can so easily go to pride and think, I'm better than, or we can go to shame for ourselves or somebody else. God says, no, I'm, I actually don't want either one of those. And when we read this list of six things, and it starts with haughty eyes, and it describes each one and attributes it to a, a body part, to, to eyes, to tongue, to, to hands, heart, and feet, there's a sense of in our body, we actually can take on these evil thoughts, attitudes, and actions, and speech that negatively affect those around us, that actually could conclude and to could influence and result in conflict within relationship and community. And there's this great counterbalance to this, this great truth and hope in Romans chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, where it says this, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, but because you are not, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Some of you hear that today and you think, well, I, I can't imagine what it would be like for sin not to be my master. I'm so used to that. I'm so familiar with that. It's just in muscle memory. It just happens. And and this is this, this good news, this gospel, this truth. This is no. When you believe in Jesus and trust in him, that he offers forgiveness and there's grace there. Not, that, you didn't, that you didn't learn. You didn't have like, you didn't string together like six days of, of just completely nailing all of the Proverbs and hitting everything right. And then, oh good, you, you attain wisdom or you attain goodness or you attain righteousness. No, it says because of grace, in the midst of either being prideful or full of shame, grace is offered. The picture here is that it says, don't, do not offer yourselves or any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness. The, the picture, and we don't quite see it just when we read it through in English, but the, the picture is that as, as if we're, we're taking us or the parts of who we are and putting it on a plate and offering it to somebody. As if you invited somebody over to your house, a guest that you loved and cared about, and you said, I wanna, I wanna serve you well, so I'm gonna offer you something on a plate. That's the picture that's painted. And then, the person can use it. And what can they use it as? As if something on the plate is a, is a tool or a utensil, an instrument, which can also be a weapon. And so the picture is, I'm going to offer myself that's going to be in the use of something, someone else. I'm going to offer myself as a utensil, a tool, or a, a weapon that's going to be in someone else's hands. How are they going to use it? And so the warning is when we give into pride and when we give into lying and when we give into cruelty or evil or scheming, when we do any of that, we actually become not just a utensil, not just a tool, we become a weapon in the hand of something else. And it's either wickedness or righteousness. It's either wickedness or righteousness. It's either evil or goodness. It's either violence or peace. The thing that this text does in Romans chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, is it makes it clear that there's no in-between. 
There's at no point in any moment in any of our lives that any part of us is somehow in neutral. There's no space on the in-between. We're either offering ourselves to be used for wickedness or righteousness. There's no in-between. And this is where grace is so important. Because we so often feel like we're in between and we're sliding towards wickedness and we're fighting to keep it in neutral. And God says, there's, there's no neutral. If you're fighting wickedness, lean on my grace and be with me in righteousness. Don't offer it to wickedness, offer it here. And, and when you offer it, trust that I'm gonna use it. You're not gonna be perfect. You're not gonna, you're not gonna come and perform perfectly and go, look, I'm a living, breathing example of every proverb and every call to goodness and obedience in scripture. That's not gonna happen for any of us. It's just not. And so rather than being a neutral, by coming and saying, God, I'm not enough on my own. I need you. Grace is poured out and we've placed ourselves on the plate before God and his righteousness and he's going to use us for his good. Not every day, not perfectly. We'll slide over, we'll make mistakes, we'll sin, we'll forget, but to come back regularly, regularly, regularly to him. Proverbs not just doesn't only write about the practical everydays of life, but it addresses the heart issue and calls us back not to to do everything right in this life, but to come back to Jesus repeatedly and to say, I'm not enough on my own. That would be prideful with haughty eyes, the window to the soul of what's going on in my heart. And what I want my heart to say is, Jesus, I need you. 